What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by Law, 6pm Tuesdays. Welcome to Done by Law on 3CR 8.55am and also welcome to those listening via various podcast platforms or via streaming on 3cr.org.au. I'm Sue Robertson, your host for tonight. It's just after 6pm on Tuesday, March the 1st, 2022, and you're listening to content that was pre-recorded on Friday the 25th of February. I'd like to start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the original and rightful custodians of the land that 3CR broadcasts from. I also acknowledge the First Nations custodians of the various lands all of us who are involved in this program tonight are joining from. And we all pay our respects to elders, past, present and emerging. And we also acknowledge this land was stolen, never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So listeners, during our endless uh, COVID lockdowns, I certainly found myself doing quite a bit of online shopping and my credit card definitely got a bit of a workout. But during that time, I noticed new ways of paying being advertised. You know, I saw Afterpay, Zip Pay, Zip Money, Hum, Bundle. I personally didn't use any of them and haven't, but I know lots of people who have. And I know now that these are called buy later, but I beg your pardon, buy now, pay later companies, definitely not buy later. And they are pretty recent in the marketplace. And the use of them is expanding super quickly. They're set up to offer us, the consumer, the ability to get our hands on something we want to buy, but not pay for it straight away. So it sounds okay on the face of it, but it seems that you're not always very protected when you use one or more of these services to pay for stuff. And where does or where should the use of these products stop? Should you be able to buy anything? using this type of service? Are there pitfalls? And what are your legal rights? Do you have any? My guests tonight are going to tell us all about how the answers to these questions play out and that it's not always clear cut. Let me introduce Tom Aberisk and Claude Von Ask. Both are from Consumer Action Law Centre. Tom is a policy officer and Claude is a financial counsellor. Before we start, for transparency's sake, I also work at Consumer Action Law Centre. So Tom and Claude are colleagues of mine, and even though I work in another part of the centre, but I have a heap of admiration for the work that each of them does, and that's why I asked them to join us to have a chat tonight. So Tom and Claude, welcome to Done by Law. Thanks, Sue. Hi. Thank you, Sue. All right. Well, to kick things off, let's get a bit of a de- definition about this whole buy now, pay later thing. Um, how what, what is this and how is it different from things like wage pay and before pay? Um, yeah, sure. So I'm happy to field that question, I guess. Um, so buy now, pay later 
in general, um, despite what a lot of the marketing tries to tell us, it is a credit product. Uh, and essentially, I guess the key uh, feature of it is that people can buy, can use buy now, pay later to buy goods or services and then um, repay the cost back in installments over, over time rather than upfront. Um, there's a lot of variation in the market in how that works. So some of them are, um, some of them, you know, they change in, in terms of how many payments you make, they change in how they, they structure their fees. Um, but one of the things that's quite consistent with the way sort of buy now, pay later works as a whole is, is in terms of its legal structure, um, all of their, their structures are designed to um, exploit a loophole in the national credit law um, to avoid being regulated like a regular credit product. Um, that means that the consumer protections uh, uh, that apply to other more traditional forms of credit, like loans and credit cards, um, do not apply to buy now, pay later. Um, so what that means, I guess, is that, it, is that uh, when you take out a buy now, pay later account, uh, the buy now, pay later provider doesn't have to do any checks as to whether or not you can afford to repay the amount that you're borrowing. Um, they don't have to offer hardship assistance uh, if, if you get into strife. Um, whereas with other financial products, they at, at the very least, they have to consider it. And if they don't, they, if they refuse to give you hardship assistance, they have to give you reasons for um, why they're not doing that. Um, and it also means that they don't have to be members of the financial ombudsman service. So if you have a dispute, uh, you have far fewer sort of avenues for, um, for resolving it. Um, one of the big marketing and selling points of buy now, pay later is that they, they strongly sort of advertise that they don't charge interest, um, which is part of how they avoid uh, the regulations that cover most credit products in Australia. Um, but despite that, all of them still charge late fees and almost all of them charge additional fees like account keeping fees or establishment fees on some of their purchases. So they're certainly still far from free. Um, as far as the difference between buy now, pay later and, and uh, wage advance products, which are products like before pay or wage pay, um, those products, they, they also make use of the same or very similar loopholes in our credit laws to avoid being regulated as a, as a consumer credit product. Uh, but the big difference is that buy now, pay later will generally involve a third party. So like a merchant or a retailer uh, who the consumer is buying something from. Um, so it's a bit more like buying something with a credit card. By comparison, uh, wage advance products are more like a traditional loan where essentially you, you get money upfront, you get it sooner than you would have if you are, were just waiting on your wage. Uh, and then... Um, you get charged a fee for that service just directly. Most of those products charge like a 5% fee or a flat fee for each advance. Um, and so they're, they're a little different in that sense in that you're not buying something like a good or a service with them. But otherwise they, they are somewhat similar in a way in that you're both, you know, you're, you're, you're paying for things with money you don't have. Yeah. So they're kind of connected, but one's about getting money first, I guess, and the other one's about getting stuff first. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and and that third party, the merchant as a third party, is sort of complicates the whole buy now pay later landscape. Yeah, as well by I, the sound of it. Yeah, that's right. And I guess the other thing uh, also that's a bit different is in terms of their fee structures. Buy now pay later also generally charge the the merchants or the retailers a, a pretty sizable amount as well. So for the mm. for the um, right to you know process your transaction. 
and have you pay on their platform, they generally charge between four and 6% of the purchase price. Uh, and that comes out of the retailer's pocket, uh, which there's a bit of evidence that suggests that over time, uh, most retailers, even if you know they do get increased sales from uh, taking up buy now, pay later, they, um, they tend to put their products, the price of their products up over time across the board. Okay. Another sort of side effect of it. Yeah, getting the picture about great. how they fill their pockets, both from the merchant and the and the person using using the product or their service. Mm. Mm. Okay, so um, it also feels a little bit like Australia is the wild west or some sort of frontier for this new type of financial credit. Why is this? Yeah, I, I certainly understand that feeling. I guess look at this point, it's happening everywhere. By now, pay later, it has popped up in the US, the UK, New Zealand. It's happening all over the world. Uh, but Afterpay, who are by far the biggest of these companies, and Zip, which I think are also the second biggest, are both Australian companies. Oh, uh, and I so, see. yeah, yeah. So they're they're yeah. homegrown. Mm-hmm. Um, Aren't we uh, clever? <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah, like yes. I guess in terms of why that's happened, there's probably a couple of reasons. The first one probably goes back to those exemptions, the loopholes that these products make use of here. So they're a little bit broader in Australia than they are in some other places. And that means uh, essentially that they can charge slightly higher fees here without being captured by the definition of credit. Um, Then say for an example, New Zealand, where they generally can't charge like account keeping fees and things like that. Um, The other reason that's probably played a role in that is that our, our government has taken on an extremely accommodating approach towards so-called innovation in financial services or fintech, which essentially, as far as I can tell, means anything that uses technology in financial services, even if it's just having an app. Um, and, and our government's taken an approach that this is groundbreaking. Uh, they sort of attempted to really foster the industry and have taken a very hands-off approach. So despite the fact that for years now, it's been very obvious that these products have been using exemptions in the credit law that were never designed for, you know, this, this sort of use and, and use at, at this scale, um, there, there's been a very hands-off approach and there's been no sign, at least no obvious sign yet that the government's going to properly regulate it anytime soon. Ah, there's nothing like a good loophole with government support. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. And I mean, look, there's loopholes everywhere in the law, mm. but this is, a, this is probably one of the more uh, telling examples of where use of it's become very mainstream very quickly. Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, in terms of that use, in, in my mind, you know, when I think about these products, if I was going to use it, I'd be using it for something kind of special, you know, something that I see as a bit of a luxury. So I wouldn't be using buy now, pay later very often. But I have noticed these buy now, pay later options often in, in lots of places that surprise me, um, that don't fit my, my way of thinking about using it. For example, I've seen it in supermarkets and I know about it in hospitals. And this kind of makes me feel a bit uncomfortable, mainly because I... I see the things that you get in those places like as necessities, you know, whether it's everyday food or, you know, necessities or, you know, um, health and not certainly not luxuries. So that my discomfort is there seems to be something wrong with the system in sort of the big picture sense. Um, if people find themselves 
need, feeling they need to rely on this kind of credit to access these necessities. Um, do either of you see buy now, pay later services used much in for these kinds of everyday needs? Do you have you got any comments about this? Um, look, look, we do um, in the financial counselling um, area. It's it's quite common. Um, the, the product of buy now, pay later, it, it, is, it is quite new in the scheme of things. It's a relatively new product for the market. Um, however, it's a pretty crowded market space. So there's lots of um, providers out there now and they're all, they're all trying to uh, get, it, get an edge and get market share. So there's a pretty rapid expansion of the product across all sorts of services and goods and services. Um, and some are pretty alarming and concerning um, you can buy alcohol now, buy now, pay later. You can, I mean, arguably groceries um, are not supposed to be included, um, but you can get, um, you know, Coles or Woolworths vouchers by buy now, mm. pay later, and people use that to then buy groceries. So yeah. I, I think the concerning thing is that a lot of our, a lot of our callers who are um, often quite vulnerable, either on Centrelink income or low income, they're often the best budgeters there are and they they know how to manage their money and they know how to get the loopholes um, around using these sort of products to get what they need because they, they need to keep surviving. So um, that concerns us. Um, and, um, and, and these products, they'll continue to expand. There's even, there's even services now to even for education costs, schooling costs. Um, for your kids now, you can pay in installments. So it's it's spreading. And I, I guess the major concern, like in my mind, is that it's almost embedding a concept uh, in the community that you don't need to pay for anything up front anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's the underlying theme, not just with buy now, pay later, but even, even the, you know, the before pay type products. It's a bit of a vicious mm. cycle and it's it's ridden with traps because once you get into that mould, if you start getting, you know, your wage paid in advance and you pay a fee and you might be using that money to pay down your buy now, pay later expenses that are coming up, it becomes quite problematic to manage if you've got multiple accounts on top yeah. of the on, on top of your traditional credit products like credit cards and personal loans. So um, so yeah, it's expanding and it's it is a it's a genuine concern. Um, yeah. It's creating you know. a really complex environment. And you know, in the old days it was just there weren't too many options with credit. Yeah, you know, and it's your, and it's pretty card. easily accessed. Pretty easily yeah, accessed credit. If it's under two thousand dollars, it's it's very easy under the current wow. um, lack of regulation. I guess. Mm, but two thousand here and two thousand there and two thousand somewhere else it quickly adds up, doesn't it? Can it can? Yeah, it's a bit concerning too that education. I mean, I you know my my discomforts about those things like health and education. Uh, what we should all be you know, the community should be providing, you know, via our tax system and so on, that Claude works on the National Debt Helpline and, um, and which is staffed by, you know, amazing financial counsellors at Consumer Action and they deal with lots of callers that have buy now, pay later problems that spiral downwards. So, Claude, can you, are there any examples of the kinds of issues that you're seeing, you know, any common themes? Yeah, um, look, I guess in the last probably two or three years, there's been definitely an expansion of 
um, accounts that people have. Like people would start off with say one buy now, pay later account. But a lot of our callers now have multiple mm -hmm. um, accounts, um, which then becomes a little bit problematic to manage. Okay, um, and and our callers are a pretty broad demographic, right? There can be um, some of the younger generation where it's where these products are are, are very um, popular. Um, but, you know, um, all age groups, all demographics generally will have these accounts set up now. And, and to be fair, these products can be quite helpful for people if, if they are a genuine alternative to, say, a credit card. And a lot of people will set up these accounts with good intentions to use these in lieu of a credit card. But if you're on a low income or if you have high expenses or you have a life event, which often can hit many of us unexpectedly, um, if you've still got a credit card and you've got buy now, pay later, a lot of people end up with both. So yeah. they're little, it's almost like an ecosystem of debt that they're building. And oh, it's what very a great description. Ecosystem yeah. of debt. Yeah. It's and it's very hard to get out of. So we have we have callers. I had a caller earlier this week who um, she was a single parent, um, earning around fifteen hundred dollars a fortnight. Um, and up until about two years ago, she used to manage her finances um, pretty well, um, very had little debt and was getting by each week fairly comfortably as best she could. Um, and then she had a life event happen unexpectedly. Um, she opened buy now, pay later accounts. She had to get um, payday loans, which is another cheap form of credit. Well, not cheap form, it's a very expensive form of credit, but easily obtainable. Um, and then she ended up getting the advance pay type products. So she had, she had a total of 14 different accounts that she was trying to juggle. Um, and that's, that's problematic. Yep. Wow. And that's, it's quite common these days. And, um, and a, lot of people, a lot of people will sort of downgrade the risk of buy now, pay later because they only charged a fee instead of interest. But I think what people don't probably appreciate yet is that the enforcement risk on a buy now, pay later product is no different to a credit card or a personal loan. If you default, it'll get sent likely to a debt collector and they'll chase you for that debt, just like they'll chase you for any other debt. So whilst your accounts are active, the fees might may be less um, if you have limited number of accounts. But if you can't keep up and you start defaulting, um, that risk is no different to any other product. And that's why we're strong advocates for getting regulation around these type of products now. Like every other lending product, there is to provide those protections for people if they do get into you know, financial hardship. Yeah, so closing the loopholes a bit. Just, just, I mean, as I said, it, it, it's a viable product, but it's it's just not regulated as it should be like all the other credit products. And it is a credit product. If you don't pay for something when you get your product up front, then it's a debt and you owe that money. So mm. you pay, you're paying a fee instead of interest, but it's still a loan. Mm -hmm. but, the opposite I mean, of, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And oh. I think, I mean, one of the things I guess um, I've, I've heard from my friends as well who use buy now, pay later, they say, Oh, you know, it's a budgeting tool. And um and, and, you know, what's the problem? And, you know, in a lot of situations, people do use it and can use it appropriately. But, I mean, what that those examples that Claude's talking about are, um, are a bit more widespread than I think any of us realise. ASIC, the financial services regulator, did a, um, 
did a review a couple of years ago, and even at that point, um, in the last of the users that they surveyed, I think it was one in five of the of the users reported that they had cut back or gone without essentials like meals to pay off their buy now pay later debt, and fifteen percent had taken out other loans. So. Um, yeah. This sort of variety of debts is a lot more common, and it's and yeah. it's more widespread than people realize. That yeah, leads back it, to my discomfort earlier that I was talking about this, un, you know, slightly uncomfortable feeling in my stomach. Yeah, yeah. and look, and look. To be fair, um, a lot of low income earners or people on Centrelink, they they're really protective of their buy now pay later accounts because it does give them flexibility. Mm-hmm. Right, it it can be it can be a helpful product, but. Um, not if it's piled on to existing debts and it's mm. not being kept up with and they're just paying fees when they shouldn't have to be or shouldn't need to be. Mm. But, you know, you've only got certain options when you're at that sort of, in those sort of circumstances. So it's it's the best of sometimes of poorer alternatives, um, but it's when you're juggling multiple accounts, that's when it becomes that snowball effect and very hard to, to get out of. To manage, yeah. Okay, thanks for those um thoughts there. Uh, Listeners, we're going to take a quick break for some community announcements and we'll be back soon to continue the conversation. Well, brothers and sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the the spirit of this gathering here today at IMAP. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminawaya Mōbōhina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio. Your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 Hi there, music lovers. It's Jane. And Joe here. From Music Music Matters, Matters. we're here to remind and encourage you to either renew or subscribe to this extraordinary volunteer-based community radio station that is 3CR. Why? Well, for over 45 years, since 1976, it has provided a space for underrepresented voices and independent musicians outside of the commercial mainstream. We curate and talk to artists that entertain and inform you, whether it's personal, political or both. 3CR plays at least 55% Australian music each week, but Music Matters is always way above that. So the choice is yours, though it will be good for your soul. $35 unwaged or concession. $75 waged. And $150 for solidarity, band or organisation. Go online for further details. 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Or ring the station during business hours 9419 8377. You can listen to Music Matters from noon till 2 every every Friday. Friday. And welcome back. 
You're listening to Done by Law on 3CR 8.55am and streamed on 3cr.org.au. I'm Sue Robertson. Hosting tonight, I'm talking to Tom and Claude from Consumer Action Law Centre about buy now, pay later products and some of the problems that they cause. So before the break, we were talking about some of those problems and and I also know that the Consumer Action Law Centre has made submissions to two inquiries about these kinds of buy now, pay later um, products, but these are in other countries, one in the UK and one in New Zed. It's, I'm sorry, New Zealand. So why did you get involved in these inquiries that are happening overseas? Can they actually influence what goes on here? And have you got any comments about some of the submissions that you made? Um, yeah, sure. So we we put submissions in, as you said, yeah, to a New Zealand inquiry and a UK inquiry. Um, both those jurisdictions have undertaken consultations specifically on buy now, pay later, and, and I guess directly are asking the question right now of whether and how it should be regulated. The reason we got involved in those is, so one of the key questions uh, in those inquiries was whether buy now, pay later should be formally, formally reg regulated as other forms of credit or whether there's other options that could be uh, an alternative. Um, so one of the other options floated in the New Zealand consultation in particular was whether there was a need for regulation that, um, or whether this could be addressed by industry via a self-regulation or like an industry code. And that's essentially that's what we've got here. So we have a voluntary code that is in effect that was developed by an industry body on behalf of their eight buy now pay later members. Um, and the code's very light on in terms of real commitments. It's about 14 pages and it's written to be intentionally vague um, it was written in a way that meant that none of the eight business models had to change anything whatsoever. And there was uh, really not really guarantee anything beyond that by now pay later providers will um, become members of the financial complaints ombudsman in terms of what we see as any value. Um, so that code came into effect in March last year, 2021. And based on our casework, it appears to have done little to prevent by now pay later from leaving people worse off. So the reason we got involved in those was we wanted to share that message, um, you know, let Australia be a lesson, I guess, for those other, other jurisdictions learn from our experience that a self-regulated industry code is not an answer um, to the need for regulation. Uh, in terms of whether or not it's going to impact what we do here, um, if we, look, we think there are far better ways to regulate by now, pay later, that it could operate and there could be a, a market that works without um, without sacrificing consumer protections. And so if that happens overseas, we think it would be far more likely that our government might, you know, recognise this and take it on and, and, and actually put in some proper consumer protections in the space. Maybe something comes out of those inquiries that can be useful here. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, but <laughs> I think it's still a long way to go. Uh, even it over does there. seem that, um, you know, like it seems a contradiction that if, you know, this is a... a, a a set of um, products that are exploiting a, a loophole that their own um, self-regulation isn't going to close the <laughs> close those opportunities they've found readily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Okay, um, we've only got a few minutes to go. So for those listeners who have found themselves swamped by this kind of debt and not really sure how, how they can get out, where can they get help? Yeah, so look, a really good starting point is to um, give the National Debt Helpline a call. 
Um, it's a free service, telephone-based um, counselling service, um, and it's nationwide. And you can call um, you can call us um, during the week um, on one eight hundred double zero seven double zero seven. Um, if we don't answer, we'll definitely get back to you. We, we try and get back to everyone within 24 to 48 hours if we can't answer you up front. But we can give you some advice, what options you've got, some ideas as to how to manage um, your current situation and, and how best to move forward. Because um, often, often people are told by, I guess, they get advice from people that, that want, want their money, want them to pay them back, which is not always their best advice. So we, we very much focus on giving people a holistic independent um, assessment and advice that's in their interests only and no one else's. So it's a non-profit service. It's federally and state-based funded organisation. Um, and it's, as I said, it's Australia-wide. Okay. So can you just repeat that phone number again, Claude? So that yeah. So 1-800-007-007. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, on that note, um, we'll have to close this super interesting chat with um, Tom and Claude. Uh, and that's it for the program for this evening. Thank you, Tom, and thank you, Claude, for sharing your time and your expertise and your insights with us. That was Tom Abrisk and Claude Von Arx from Consumer Action Law Centre. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR 8.55am, streamed at 3cr.org.au and available on various podcast platforms. Done By Law will be back again next Tuesday at 6pm. Stay tuned now for the Voices of West Papua. <laughs>